Hear now the reading of the word of God from Judges 19. In those days, Israel had no king. Now a Levite who lived in a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim took a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah, but she was unfaithful to him. She left him and went back to her parents' home in Bethlehem, Judah. After she had been there four months, her husband went to her to persuade her to return. He had with him his servant and two donkeys. She took him into her parents' home, and when her father saw him, he gladly welcomed him. His father-in-law, the woman's father, prevailed on him to stay, so he remained with him three days, eating and drinking and sleeping there. On the fourth day, they got up early, and he prepared to leave, but the woman's father said to his son-in-law, refresh yourself with something to eat, then you can go. So the two of them sat down to eat and drink together. Afterward, the woman's father said, please stay tonight and enjoy yourself. And when the man got up to go, his father-in-law persuaded him, so he stayed there that night. On the morning of the fifth day, when he rose to go, the woman's father said, refresh yourself, wait till afternoon. So the two of them ate together. Then when the man with his concubine and his servant got up to leave, his father-in-law, the woman's father, said, now look, it's almost evening. Spend the night here, the day is nearly over. Stay and enjoy yourself. Early tomorrow morning, you can get up and be on your way home. But unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went toward Jebus, that is, Jerusalem, with his two saddled donkeys and his concubine. When they were near Jebus and the day was almost gone, the servant said to his master, Come, let's stop at the city of the Jebusites and spend the night. His master replied, No, we won't go into any city whose people are not Israelites. We will not go on, we will go on to Gibeah. He added, Come, let's try to reach Gibeah or Ramah and spend the night in one of those places. So they went on. And the sun set as they neared Gibeah in Benjamin. There they stopped to spend the night. They went and sat in the city square, but no one took them in for the night. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim, who was living in Gibeah, the inhabitants of the place were Benjamites, he came in from his work in the fields. When he looked and saw the traveler in the city square, the old man asked, where are you going? Where did you come from? He answered, we are on our way from Bethlehem in Judah to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim where I live. I have been to Bethlehem in Judah and now I am going to the house of the Lord. No one has taken me in for the night. We have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves, your servants, me, the woman, and the young man with us. We don't need anything. You are welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. So he took him into his house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. While they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. 
Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. The owner of the house went outside and said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them. And they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying, fell down at the door, and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached home, he took a knife and cut up his concubine, limb by limb, into 12 parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it was saying to one another, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Just imagine, we must do something, so speak up. Don't ignore the screams. Don't ignore the screams. In this life, we find that there are people that may enter into our lives, if only for a season, but who leave an indelible mark on us, a mark that cannot be erased. They may have, uh, ha have had some sort of a profound impact on us because of something we learned from them, something they saved us from, or something we may have admired about them. And we love to reminisce about these people who, for whatever reason, may be distant from us now, but who are never really that far away from our hearts. But then there are also people who I'll refer to today as the anonymous people, the unnamed people in our lives, the ones who, if we're honest with ourselves, we may not always want to acknowledge the impact that they had on our lives. Because maybe these people challenged us to be better or to do better, to step outside of our comfort zone and to truly care for the needs of others. It is the memory of these people that we often might want to leave behind. Bonita, a young African-American woman, is my anonymous person. I will name her today. 
She was a mother, a friend of my family, and a woman who always was very thoughtful, giving, and graceful, even in the midst of her addiction and her oftentimes self-destructive behavior. And she died tragically many years ago now at the tender age of 46 after a life of substance abuse and as a result of the complications of a deadly disease. Benita often tried to smile past her tears, her pain, and her fears, and yes, her screams. Screams that were loud enough to awaken the soundest sleeper, but screams that we often uh, muted by our laughter, our closet ridicule, our intolerance, self-righteousness, and our religious dogma. Screams that were directed at those of us who knew the truth and who professed that the truth would set anybody free, but who did not apply that same truth to Benita. When I first read this passage of scripture in seminary so many years ago now, I immediately thought of Benita. And it is my prayer today that the tragedy of this story will cause us all to ponder other situations in our own lives to draw a parallel between the suffering of this woman from Bethlehem and the suffering of the many unnamed, anonymous, and unsung people like this woman in our lives and in this world. By way of context, we learn in the very first verse of the book of Judges and in the very last verse of that same book that this was a time when Israel had no king. There was no established leader. The book of Judges is often referred to as a book of failure because we see cycles of sin and apostasy, a repetitious falling away from God. During this time, the people of Israel would cry to the Lord for help, and the Lord would raise up a judge who would lead the people to victory over their enemies. But then almost immediately afterward, the people would again fall away from their devotion and commitment to God and end up in the same place they were before. And all throughout the book of Judges and this account in Judges 19, as the scripture says, in that last verse, everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Now to be sure, there is a lot that can be discussed from Judges 19 as it illustrates the depravity of the people in Gideon during this time, among many other things. But for purposes of today, we seek to focus on the actions and just as importantly, the inaction of the many people in the story that allowed something so heinous and horrible to occur to this anonymous woman. This woman was labeled a concubine from Bethlehem, which is the equivalent of a secondary wife to this Levite man. I looked it up and it says that she didn't have the full status of a first wife, but she had more rights than a mistress. This woman and her husband, as noted in the text, had some sort of break in their relationship. And she left him and went back to her parents' house. Opinions differ on the circumstances of her leaving her husband. Some say she was unfaithful to him, either literally or by leaving him being unfaithful. And some say he abused her. But in any event, she left him. And we read in verses 1 through 10 that her husband followed her to her parents' home to reconcile with her, or in the words of one of the translations, to speak to her heart, to speak gently to her heart, and to persuade her to return. This unnamed man is described only as a Levite, and at least in the beginning of Judges 19, he's described as the husband of this woman. 
Levites held that certain status among the tribes of Israel, and they were assigned to be cared for by the members of the other tribes. And so this woman's father showed this Levite the utmost of respect when he went to his home in Bethlehem. In addition, the custom of hospitality was important in that time, and the father treated this Levite man very graciously, feeding him, entertaining, I am and, and gleaning from the text, and seeing that he was comfortable and encouraging him to extend his stay some five days. Since we know what ultimately happens in this story, one could wonder at this point if the father, although showing hospitality to his son-in-law, might have sensed something in this man's demeanor. And he was trying to keep him at the house until it passed in protection of his daughter. One could wonder that. But finally, although it was almost evening, the husband refused to stay any longer and he left taking the unnamed woman with him en route to Ephraim by way of Gibeah, which was the site of her brutal rape and torture. When we consider the actors in this story, what makes this story so difficult to take is that this woman suffered not just at the hands of a wicked and angry mob of strangers, but she suffered at the hands of her own husband and the people who had previously shown hospitality to her, as was their custom. There is speculation as to who the man was in verse 25 who seized the woman and pushed her out to the angry mob, whether it was the old man, the host of the house, the servant, or her husband. But in any event, her husband did nothing to help her or to prevent her brutal and public rape. This was the same man who had just stayed at her parents' home and received the best hospitality available, but he then allowed this daughter to experience unspeakable abuse and trauma in order to save himself. And then there was the old man, the host of the house is described in the text as the old man, the one who showed so much hospitality to the Levite man and was concerned for his safety in the city square where it was believed to be very dangerous, especially if you were strangers there at night. But it was also the same old man who then offered up his virgin daughter and the concubine to an angry mob of men in place of the Levite man so they wouldn't do such an outrageous thing to the Levite man. This text of scripture shows a clear devaluation and disregard for the value of these women's lives and bodies. These women were treated as property to be used and abused as desired. And we even notice shift in how the Levite man was referred to in the story in verse 26 when he begins to be referred to as her master. We don't even hear the women's voices in the story, not even the woman from Bethlehem's voice when she returned to her parents' home leaving her husband. And as we consider this story, we can only imagine the level of pain and trauma these women were feeling as they were being offered up to be used. And in the case of the woman from Bethlehem, as she was brutally raped all night long in the public square. And then we see even more abuse and neglect in the story when the husband now referred to as her master was seeking to escape the situation on the next morning. And he found the injured woman laying at the threshold of the front of the house. And he continued to disregard her personhood 
and her worth and value. It is not completely clear whether she was dead or alive at that point, but scripture says that she somehow brought herself back to the house, fell at the threshold, no doubt looking for some hospitality, maybe some help from the only people she knew. And her husband responded to her presence by saying in verse 28, get up and let's go. And there was no response from her. And then this tragic story ends with the husband cutting up her abused and slain body into 12 pieces limb by limb and sending them to all the areas of Israel, claiming that what was done to her was a sign of war being waged against Israel. We almost see a split personality here in the Levite man because he allowed this woman to be raped, to be offered up, and then stepped over her on the front step as, she sought to, as he sought to run away that early morning. But then in chapter 20, he seemed to be so distraught over her death, and he wants revenge. So many questions cloud my mind. Why didn't the Levite man show this woman, his woman, some compassion in the beginning? Why didn't he or the old man from the house or anybody else who was in the house or the servant who traveled with them or any of the women or men in the town who heard or knew what was going on right outside of their doors, why didn't anyone respond to her screams in the street? literal screams or figurative screams as she was brutally raped all night. I see parallels in our world today. I'm a former sex crimes and child abuse prosecutor. I prosecuted on behalf of the state of Indiana many cases of rape, child sexual abuse, and I had my fair share of domestic abuse cases. I have seen many husbands, families, church members, community members turn on women who were raped and ostracize them as if they committed the crime themselves. Many women who sit on criminal juries find it difficult to sympathize with a woman who has been raped. And they often look for a reason why this could have happened to her. Maybe it's what she wore. Maybe she had too much to drink. Maybe she knew this guy. Maybe, maybe. Her, if you look into her life, you'll see that she had a wild kind of life. And we found that the reason for this is that many of the women in particular who felt this way could not believe that rape could just happen to you, that you had to have done something, and they knew that they didn't exhibit that kind of behavior so it wouldn't happen to them. When I think of the Me Too movement that has gained momentum today in which women all over the world are relating stories of being sexually harassed or abused and naming their abusers, we constantly see efforts to shame these women and to treat them as if their lives don't matter. And that if this happened to them, they must have been desiring it or responsible for it in some way. This Levite man treated his concubine as if she had done something wrong. And I wonder, was he so insensitive that he did not care what happened to the daughter of the man who took care of him? Or was he ashamed? or trying to hide his own guilt by treating her so badly. In the reading of this passage of scripture, it appears so clear to me that everyone, male and female, 
who were present or an ear or eye shot or had any inkling of this brutal act occurring ignored the screams of this woman. And as we reflect on this story, we must ask ourselves, how many screams have we ignored? How many people have we abused, even if it was just by ignoring them and their feelings, attacking their credibility, questioning their motives, holding them to a higher standard than we would ever hold the one that they accused? But maybe even closer to home, to many of us here, how many needs have we ignored? preferring to concentrate on our own needs rather than the needs of others, as our God has called us to? How many times have we put off doing what our spirits urged us to do, maybe even screamed for us to do, preferring instead to stay on the safe road and not take any risks or chances to help somebody else? Now, to be sure, there are times when the better part of wisdom tells us that we must save ourselves and not get involved in some situations that are too dangerous, at least not get directly involved. And yes, there are some people who scream all the time and who will try to suck the very life out of you if you let them. I'm a pastor, I know. But I'm not talking about those people or those types of situations today. We already know what to do in those instances. I'm talking about those people and situations that we encounter where there is truly a need. The people who don't use church talk, say all the right things at the right time with the right inflection. Those who don't have the man-made titles and who aren't the popular ones in our estimation. You know, the ones who don't look so good to us. The people who are often the victims of pious and legalistic attitudes among the self-righteous that judge and blame them for the circumstances in their lives, plucking out people's eyes and then blaming them for not being able to see. People who truly are victims of a system that seeks to kill, steal, and destroy and exclude those who are weak, those who lack resources and have no one to support them. These are people who are labeled as the harlots, the shiftless ones, drains on society, from the wrong side of the track, uneducated, unprofessional, drug addicted, HIV positive, got full-blown AIDS, homosexual, unwed pregnant teen teenage mothers, illegitimate children, orphans, or the black sheep of their family. And the list goes on. And most times, these labels are given by people who are steeped in sin themselves, and their sins have just have not been brought out in the light. One of my former pastors used to always tell us that when you read a story in scripture, don't always identify with the hero, because you just, he used to say, you just might be the goat. <laughs> and in this story, it's not easy to find a hero save the concubine from Bethlehem. But we can ask ourselves, have we played the part of the abusers, those who raped and violated her, or those who took no regard for her well-being and did nothing to aid her? 
Are we like the husband who used this woman as a human shield, as a scapegoat for his own fear and his selfish desires and who didn't help her when she needed him? Are we like the old man who seemed to be more interested in the hospitality of his guest than the virginity of his daughter and the virtue of this unnamed woman? Offering them both up to an angry mob to do as the scripture says with them as they pleased? And as this crime of violence was committed against the unnamed anonymous woman, wasn't the crime of silence and inaction committed by everyone who ignored her screams and did not come to her aid? This is one of the texts of terrors as, as described by Phyllis Tribble, biblical scholar. And it is one that should challenge and sadden us but it should also enlighten, motivate, and prompt each and every one of us into action. Whose life can we help to save? Whose screams can we no longer ignore? My brothers and sisters, Colossians 3 says that we are to care for others, putting to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, and we are to put on, to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience bearing with one another and forgiving whatever grievances we have and then finally to put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I ignored Benita's screams. I ignored them. And although from time to time I would encourage her to trust God for a better way, I never really spent time praying with her. I wasn't there to walk with her, to labor with her, and I certainly wasn't there when she fell. And that is a truth that I will have to live with for the rest of my life. But there are some things that I can do now, and preaching this message is one of them, wherever I go. But also caring for those other people who are victims of abuse and violence those are the screams that I hear and cannot ignore and must respond to. My question to all of us here is what screams are you hearing? Who are you being called to? Judges 19 ends with the words of the people saying, consider it, just imagine, we must do something. Speak up. Amen.